Okay, let's get started. Good evening. Um, so, yes, good evening. Um, so, uh, get in a comfy position, um, something that you can stay in for 25 to 30 minutes. And um, of course, feel free to move um, during the meditation if you feel like you, you need to. Um, and um, I think I'll do kind of a combination of awareness and a little bit of a body scan. Um, so, um, so for those of you who may be um, a little new to meditation, the key is to get in a position where you can breathe freely. Feel free to close your eyes or leave them open. But if you leave them open, especially with the computer screen on, um, really make sure that you're not looking at the screen. Um, so you might want to look at an angle or sit, you know, um, with uh, your profile uh, heading towards the camera. And um, a good way to start is just to take a few deep breaths. Not only is it a good way to relax, but it's also as the air fills up your upper body, it'll help your spine elongate and come into natural alignment. Take nice, long, deep inhales through the nose and exhale slowly through the slightly open mouth, which will help the body settle. Just take a couple more of these deep relaxation breaths in through the nose and out through your slightly open mouth. And now let your mouth close, breathe in and out through your nose. And now let the breath come and go at its own pace and depth. So we're not taking deep, slow, breaths, but rather just letting the breath find its own natural rhythm. And that might be erratic, quick, slow, it doesn't matter. The key is, as much as possible, let the breath find its own speed and depth. And now let your awareness become a little bit more focused on the breath by settling into the inside of your nose, a soft tissue on the inside of your nostrils, where you can feel sensations produced by the movement of 
the breath in and out of the body. Just gently, but firmly, keep your awareness parked on the inside of the nose, just feeling the sensations of the breath there. Let's do that for a minute or so. All sorts of things like thoughts, sensations, stimuli in the environment will carry you away from the breath. So you'll stop paying attention to the sensations of the breath in the nose. That's natural. Just when you notice that happening, just come back gently, but firmly to the breath. And for the next few breaths, see how granular your awareness of the sensations can become, how high resolution, high definition. Can you feel ever more subtle shifts, changes in the sensation of the breath from the beginning to the end of each in-breath and out-breath? Now let's move our awareness down to the center of the chest, the sternum, breastbone area. Just feel the sensations there in the chest that are associated with the breath. As I follow the breath in the center of my chest, I feel not only the sensations of the movement of the rib cage, the breastbone, but also a kind of tension, tightness in this area. Some of you may feel something like that or tenderness or rawness or warmth. Just see what there is to be felt in the center of the chest as you breathe. 
And as we did with the nose, see how granular your awareness of these sensations can become. Don't just settle for feeling them in a superficial way. Pay attention, deep attention to these sensations. Now bring your awareness down into the belly area, maybe especially in the lower belly, like the area below your belly button. And just feel the sensations in the belly that are associated with the breath. For some of you, the belly may move quite a bit as you breathe in and out. And for some of you, not much at all. It's possible that some of you are carrying well, enough residual tension in the belly that the belly doesn't move as you breathe. And if that's what happens, just notice that. Don't force it to feel a certain way or to behave a certain way. Just notice how without you manipulating the breath, the breath feels in the belly. If you encounter any tension or discomfort, embrace those sensations with a soft, accepting awareness. You're not trying to make them go away. You're not trying to fight them off. You're just noticing, just letting them be there. See if you can approach them with curiosity rather than aversion. And now let's follow the breath in all three places at the same time, nose, chest, and belly. So obviously you're gonna to have to soften and widen your awareness. You're not looking for sensations in just one spot, but in three different spots simultaneously. If it feels too hard to do, you can toggle back and forth between the different spots or just two of the three spots. But see how much of the breath in the whole body in all three areas you can hold in your awareness at once. 
Though we are following the breath, the point is not to keep a tight grip on the breath. The goal is not to never be distracted and pulled away. If a thought or a sensation or something else pulls you away from the breath, it's okay. Go to where the mind is pulled. Notice that it's been pulled away. Notice what has pulled it away. And then gently, with grace, without any rush, come back to the breath. It's no problem for the mind to be pulled away from the breath. In fact, one of the most important moments in meditation practice is when we notice that we've been pulled away from an anchor like the breath. That is the essence of mindfulness, being pulled away and noticing, coming back to some anchor. Feel the breath as a whole as it enters the nose, moves down and fills the chest and the belly, and then is exhaled back out the nose. The tidal rhythm of the breath, just feel its flow. Sometimes it's choppy, sometimes it's smooth. It's always as it needs to be. As you continue following the breath in this way and taking note of those moments when you're pulled away from the breath, you may notice from time to time certain kind of thoughts that are about how this meditation session is going. Like, are you doing it well? Are you not doing well? Is it as you want it to be? Are you expecting it to be a certain way? Are you desiring it that it be a certain way? Are you frustrated that it's not a certain way? Are you judging yourself because of how it is or isn't going? Take note of those thoughts in particular. And as you note them, note the judgments, the expectations, listen for the tone of voice 
these thoughts come in. Is that voice harsh, kind, anxious, angry? Just notice. For the rest of this meditation period, we're going to bring our awareness to a handful of different spots in the body. And all we're doing as we move our awareness to different places in the body, just noticing what there is to notice there, just how things feel. The same thing that we're doing when we felt the sensations of the breath in the nose, the chest or the belly, no different. Just noticing with as little judgment as possible, just letting what we find be there, not trying to change anything. So to begin, please bring your awareness to your buttocks. And whether you are sitting or lying down, your buttocks are resting on something. So to begin, just feel the quality of the contact that you're behind is making with whatever is supporting its weight. Is the surface area of your buttocks, your bottom, evenly bearing the weight of your body? Or is there more weight, more pressure in one spot than another, one side than another. Just notice. And now let your awareness sink into the muscles of this area, the glutes, and just feel the sensations in these big, powerful muscles. And just like it was with the breath and the nose, the point is not to follow these sensations or note them in a superficial way. And we don't even need to have words or labels for what we're feeling. 
See if you can feel the sensations themselves beyond words or descriptions. How does that tension or tingliness or soreness feel as a constellation of sensations? Now bring your awareness up to your lower back, especially the muscles that run up and down either side of the spine, the lower spine, but also other muscles and tissue around there. And just feel what there is to feel. Some of you experience back pain often. Perhaps you're experiencing some discomfort or pain right now. Notice how the mind and the body react to discomfort when it comes across it. Does it tighten up around pain? Can you feel the sensations associated with that tightening or clenching up. Bring a soft awareness to whatever you find. If you feel pain, soften around it. If you feel resistance to pain, soften around that. not to make anything go away, but to let it be there in peace. When the lower back is soft and open, it's possible to feel the breath even there. Can you feel the breath or sensations associated with the breath in your lower back? Can you soften the lower back enough to receive the breath even there?
Now bring your awareness up to your upper back, the area around your shoulder blades, around them, underneath them. And to begin, feel the sensations in this area around your shoulder blades that are associated with the breath as your torso expands as you inhale and contracts as you exhale. How does it feel in this upper back area? Now swing your awareness around to the front side, back to the sternum area, which we've already visited. How does your sternum, your breastbone feel now? Is it the same as before? Notice any even slight differences? Feel the breastbone move with the breath and feel the sensations produced by that movement. When my sternum or breastbone area softens a bit during a meditation, I often feel raw and tender. That's natural. There's a lot of emotion that we pack away in this part of our body. It's why when we weep or feel deep love or joy, we often feel it here very powerfully. So don't be surprised if you feel sensations that have a kind of emotional color to them, just notice what you feel, open to whatever. the end, let's check out some spots in the head and the face. So let's go up into our forehead area and just feel the sensations in the eyebrows and in the expansive skin above the eyebrows, between your eyebrows and your hairline. Are you the kind of person who furrows your brows a lot, wrinkles up your forehead when you're anxious or worried, 
perhaps you'll feel some residual tension there from those moments today when you carry tension here. Soften around whatever you find. Even tension you can hold in a soft awareness so that in a very strange way, even tightness, tension can float in a bigger, soft awareness. It's not about making the tension relax. We're not trying to change anything. It's just holding whatever we find in a soft accepting awareness. Now let's go and check out our eyes. With your eyes closed, Turn your gaze slowly to the left, as if you're trying to see something over your left shoulder, but without turning your head, just moving your eyeballs slowly. And notice the sensations produced by that movement. And then once you've gone all the way to the left, slowly bring your gaze all the way to the right. So slowly, just noticing moment by moment how each movement changes the sensations in and around the eyes. And then now let's bring our eyes back to the center position, whatever is resting and natural for you. Just let your eyes go, facing wherever they want, behind your closed eyelids. And just keep exploring the sensations in and around the eyes. We carry so much tension, especially these days. We spend so much time looking at screens. What toll is that taking on the connective tissue and the muscles around your eyes? Now please bring your awareness to your jaw muscles, the muscles located where your upper and lower jawbone connect. What do you feel? And a reminder that if you encounter tension or soreness, please bring a soft awareness to those sensations. 
How are your teeth situated? Are they pressing up against each other, the lower teeth and the upper teeth? Just notice that. And notice if there is a more tension than might be necessary right now as we're just resting. Not to relax or release it, just to notice. Just like you might notice that you're hunching your shoulders unnecessarily. Are your teeth clenched at all? What happens to that clenching if it's there once you notice that it's there? And how is your tongue situated in your mouth? Do you feel any tension in the tip of the tongue? What sensations do you feel in the big meaty middle part of the tongue? And what sensations in the back end of the tongue? The last spot we're going to scan tonight are our lips. Just bring your awareness to your lips. Are they pursed tight? Are they pressed together with unnecessary tension or force? Just notice if that's the case. What do you feel? And how does what you feel change if it does as you bring awareness to those sensations? So for the last minute of this sitting, we're just gonna sit and feel the breath and just feel the physical presence of our body. If you want something to use as an anchor, come back to the breath. Breath the nose, the chest and the belly. Or just sit feeling the quality of the body just being here whichever feels best to you. I will ring a bell when this period is over.
first, before I um, get to a, a brief discussion about teachers and you know what they can do and all that, um, is there anyone who uh, had any questions or things they want to say about the sitting that we just did? Oh, uh, by the way, I can't see everyone on one screen. So just unmute yourself if you want to speak up because I, I won't see, necessarily see you if like you're waving to me or something. Okay. So, um, I mean, I'm definitely not going to talk in some comprehensive way about teachers, the role of teachers. Um, um, I mean, I think I want to stay true to the, the spirit in which the question about teachers was asked um, by the person who emailed. So someone who's following along on a podcast. So um, she'll hear this response, you know, the next day or two. And she just, I think, just really is, didn't know like what I meant by teacher and especially why I said I wasn't a teacher um, because in some way, like clearly I'm doing some teaching and, um, and uh, so, and then she meant, noticed I mentioned that some people in the group have teachers. And so she's like, so how is this term teacher being used? Um, so in the, in the context of most Buddhist meditative traditions, um, one studies with a particular teacher. Um, and it's interesting. You could say that the way that sort of um, the passing down of Buddhist practice has been understood um, dating all the way back to the time of Shakyamuni Buddha, Buddha is um, person to person transmission. One individual um, training another, and at some point acknowledging that, that person has the same depth of insight um, that the teacher has. And therefore at that, when that, to, to mark that trend, like does what's called Dharma transmission. Um, but it's actually, nothing is actually being transmitted. So it's a kind of strange use of that term. Um, because really what's being acknowledged is that both the teacher and the student understand the same thing. Um, they have come to the same level of insight. And so, they're equals, um, and um, and so one way that, like in Zen, this is is kind of beautifully, figuratively described is like so that you know your eyebrows become entwined, intertwined with the eyebrows of your ancestors, of your teachers, so that um, and because and it's it's. It's worth pausing on this in this the strangeness of this term transmission because it's it's absolutely it's so important to keep in mind that there's actually nothing that can be transmitted. Um, the nature of the insight 
that one has that would um, give a teacher reason to say, I give Dharma transmission to you. I acknowledge you as having come to a certain level of insight that you can stand on your own two feet as a teacher. That, 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 that experience is of a recognition that you already, there was nothing missing from you. You know, that you, there was nothing that you could have gotten from somewhere else. So you can't get it from your teacher because you never, it was never not with you to begin with. It's something that you come to realize you were never missing. And that's when you share the kind of insight that your teacher was trying to get you to see, that you are always um, already there, so to speak. Of course, it can take a long time to get to that place. And so there's this paradoxical quality. It's like, there's nothing to get, there's nothing to achieve. And yet it takes a lot of effort and sometimes a lot of time um, to get to that place where you can realize that. And, but it's less because it is so hard to get, but because it's so hard for us to stop trying to get. So it takes a while for us to become softened, worn down, or just frustrated enough where we just give up, you know, um, and then see that there actually wasn't something out there that I was missing. And in fact, the very idea that I was missing something, needed to get something, was one of the deepest sources of the suffering that brought me to this practice in the first place. Um, the very sense that we're missing something is the root problem. Um, so it could never be solved by getting something. It could never be solved by something being transmitted to you. So I just wanna make that really clear. Um, so I think one interesting thing about Buddhism is that it's um, at least so far in its history, and of course, like any organic living tradition, it could change. And there's already changing in profound ways as uh, Buddhism enters the West now for a couple generations and is being altered in different ways. But, um, but one thing that I think I don't see changing um, anytime soon is the focus on person to person, sort of mentoring, training, transmission. Um, so, um, so there's a lot of weight put on this moment when one gets Dharma transmission, when one becomes authorized, so to speak, to be a teacher. So when I say that I am not a teacher, that's the specific sense in which I mean that. I have not received Dharma transmission and I am not an authorized Buddhist teacher. Um, and I mean that in a pretty formal sense because I have a lot of, um, as non-traditional as I am, I actually have um, deep investment in this aspect of the tradition. Um, and so I really want to make that clear that, and I have over and over again, that I'm not a teacher in that sense. Um, at the same time, it's actually because of um, the person I study with, Ezra Beta, uh, that I'm teaching this group. And he understands that I'm doing teaching in this group and he encourages me to do this. And I've actually told him a couple of times, 
uh, in different ways, like, I'm not sure I really have that much to offer. Um, I think I, maybe it'd be better if I just stopped, you know, I, um, and I even had that conversation with him like a month ago. He said, no, I, I mean, there's no teacher who doesn't have those thoughts, you know, um, and, um, and, but I think for him, he really feels like at a certain point in one's training, there are certain things that really, this kind of work that I'm doing here with you all um, kind of intensifies my own practice. Um, and I think uh, I'm sort of, I've begun to see that one of the ways in which it does that is it, I really don't want to say things that are inauthentic. Um, and um, there is nothing worse than ending a Tuesday night or any kind of session of teaching where I feel like I haven't actually said things I fully, um, it's not that believed, it's more like I was like fully inhabiting my words. Um, and I do that as little as possible. Um, and, but it feels awful when that happens. And I think that's one of the things that Ezra sort of knows from his own experience that one can get out of doing this kind of work, that it really intensifies your own practice. I mean, I practice very intensely between Tuesday nights so that I can be as present and real as possible on Tuesday night. I mean, so, um, so in any case, so this, there's this focus on one-to-one -one relationship. Um, and, um, now, what do you get? What does that one-to-one -one relationship look like? It looks like a lot of different things, I think. Um, um, for uh, the way, I've only studied with two different teachers. Um, so uh, I've been fairly monogamous as it, you know, as it goes. And so there's a guy named Bill Jokshu Kwang Roshi who founded Sino Mountain Zen Center. And I studied with him when I lived there. And he was a Dharma heir of Suzuki Roshi, Rosen Mind, Beginner's Mind. Um, and then it's at Sino Mountain Zen Center that I met Ezra. And he and I just hit it off. We just really connected in very deep ways. And even before I officially stopped studying with Kwang Roshi, I, I think basically Ezra was my teacher from pretty early on and um, has been my teacher as well as friend ever since. And so, um, but the kind of conversation that I have with both Kwang Roshi and with Ezra are similar. Just go in. And so I wanna really make this like as concrete as possible because um, I mean, the stuff I just said about transmission, that probably sounds like very esoteric. I mean, to some people it's like, what the, you know, um, but it's just, you just, you just sit down face to face and usually from somewhere like 10 to 20 minutes. And these days I do it every three weeks on the phone. You just talk about how practice is going, you know, um, in the early days, it can be like very practical. Like I just can't follow the breath or my posture, my back hurts, you know, and we're like, you know, with um, maybe, maybe some tips on how to, how to align your spine so that you get less fatigue, right? So that your, your breath can move freely or um, like uh, some tips on, on how to breathe or how to follow the breath or what to do when distractions happen or if you get sleepy, things like that. So that's really important. 
Um, and I think we can do a lot of that um, in this group setting if people are, you know, open and and just forthright about things that they're wondering about. And and um, I think it's really wonderful because to do it in a group setting because I think people get a lot from hearing other people's questions first because they can realize oh. I'm not the only one that has no idea what that means or how to do that, right? And, all, and because also the answer might resonate with them. And sometimes you hear answers to questions that you didn't even realize you had until you heard someone else ask it, you know, and someone's, someone asks a question, you hear a response and it's not something you'd ever even think to ask. You weren't holding the question back, but you realize, oh, oh yeah. That really, that really fits with this experience that I've been having or this difficulty I've had. Or maybe two months later, you remember that conversation and it really. Um, so there's a kind of practical side to how to meditate. I'm gonna to return to this because this thing actually gets deeper in a bit, but it's just very like mechanics. Like how the hell do I do this? You know, my body hurts and, and all that stuff, okay. Um, but then, it starts to get interesting because you start to bring up the kinds of things that emerge during practice, thoughts and emotions, stuff like, you know, I just keep getting angry, you know, um, or I feel so much fear, or um, I just can't stop thinking about this, this thing that, you know, how do I, and then that's where you start to have conversations with your teacher um, about the kind of psychological material that comes up. Um, and there are, um, and I think this is where I think the one-to-one -one conversation can be invaluable because there are, um, ways in which I think in those conversations, the teacher can hear things in how the student is talking about their mind, their emotions, their experience of meditation, which gives them clues to kind of their overall attitude towards meditation practice. Um, and also can help them sometimes just practically with how to label thoughts or how to deal with the different kinds of thoughts and emotions that are coming up. Um, so, you know, well, when, when that happens, you know, remember to, to, to soften around the sensation or like when you feel that fear, where do you feel in the body? Okay, things like that, where you can start to, the teacher can start to ask the student to notice certain connections between thought and bodily experience. But then, I think where it becomes really, I think, very powerful is you start to hear, and this is now, I'm starting to speak from my own experience, um, because these are things that I've had in conversations with people who come to me for advice about meditation. So you start to notice that people start giving away the ways in which they really are expecting the meditation to go in certain ways. Like they think they should be able to do this, they don't think they should be having that feeling. You know, there are certain things where like, you can be like book smart, intellectually smart, right? About um, how you're supposed to 
engage in meditation practice. But when you actually voice your experience to someone else, you start to, you can, I can sometimes hear like, oh, that person, you know, is really um, interested in control, like controlling their experience, you know, having a tight grip on the, the amount of emotion or energy they let themselves feel or they are really hard on themselves when they can't do something well. Um, and that's, you know, where I asked you guys to notice the thoughts you have about practice, those become very, very rich fields for discussion and observation. Because um, the thoughts that we have about our practice show us a lot about the fantasies we have or what practice will give us. Um, you know, as Barry Madgett said in a reading that I sent out a few weeks ago, you know, we have our practice, which is to be good Zen practitioner, and we have our secret practice, which is like to always be free of pain, right? Or to never be anxious, right? Or things that we'd never admit to ourselves or to our teacher or to another person that are the reasons we're practicing, but are actually why we're here. You know, we want to never be ruffled. We want to always keep our cool, right? We want to never experience anger. We want to, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Those things start to come up almost inevitably in the way that people describe their experience in meditation. And that's all the teacher has to do in those situations is say, oh, interesting. It's like, do you notice the ways in which you're talking about this? Just, and not, not, and just like, just put it up there for observation um, and see what happens. Um, and a lot will depend on how ready and willing the student is to acknowledge that secret practice because it's a secret from ourselves. We don't even want to admit it to ourselves, right? So um, it can make a student very uncomfortable, maybe even angry for a teacher to call them on the different reasons they're practicing that um, are feeding the secret practice. And of course, the reason it's so important to bring the secret practice to light is because like I, to circle back to something I said, it is the very sense that we need to fix something. It's the very sense we have to improve ourselves. It's the very sense that we have to get something that we don't have that actually causes a suffering that has led us to sitting in the first place. So if we sit driven by those kind of motivations, we're just chasing our own tail, perpetuating in the process of sitting, the suffering that has brought us to sitting in the first place. And so the greatest gift any spiritual friend, and I'll just call a teacher or a spiritual friend, can give us is helping us see the ways in which we're deceiving ourselves in the way that we practice. And by doing that, by drawing that to light, giving us the ability to, to let that motivation go. But if this secret practice is worth its salt, is actually really energizing, we're not gonna like it. Um, we're not gonna like these conversations. We're not gonna like what we think the teacher's like asking us to acknowledge about ourselves. And that's where all sorts of different kinds of projections can start and different kinds of, you know, where you start to feel like irritated. Like, why isn't this person acknowledging 
that I'm really good. Like I'm, I'm trying really hard. You know, why isn't this person giving me the kind of feedback that I, I think I deserve or that I want, or, you know, why, why is he asking me to, to acknowledge these things that like, you know, aren't so pleasant. And I don't think I'm doing that. Am I, you know, and it can take a while to work through that kind of stuff. And it can be a moment where a student says, screw it. I'm just going to find someone else who sees me the way I want to be seen, you know? Um, and so it's a very delicate moment. And I think teachers need to navigate this moment very skillfully, not pressing too hard, or at least not pressing harder than that particular person is ready to be pushed. In some traditions, it's the, the custom to push very, very hard. Um, Joko Beck describes um, being at Sashin's uh, back in the day at Zen Center Los Angeles, where literally monitors walk around the Zendo saying, you've got to die. You've got to die. You got to let go of your ego. You got to like the only way to experience it. And I mean, it was like, it was, uh, I, I, I know multiple people who did sessions in those kind of settings and it was insane. I mean, I'm sort of, I can't even imagine. And frankly, I would not have tolerated that at all. Um, but um, so, so this is the moment where like, it's going to feel challenging if the relationship is actually meaningful. I mean, I think this is just like even already in what we do as a group, you all know how often I'm encouraging people to lean into discomfort, right? To see things that you feel aversion to, that you don't want to experience. as actually opportunities to, well, to grow, to see, see something important. And so that happens in our own things and will also happen in our relationship with the teacher um, when they start to talk about these deeper elements of practice. And that's where like, even when you're talking about the nitty gritty of how you're following the breath, how you sit, you know, judgmentalness, perfectionism, obsessiveness, they can show up everywhere. So even when we're talking about the mechanics of meditation, how you deal with sensations, how you, what kind of awareness you bring to an unpleasant sensation you feel aversion to, when you have conversations about that, that even that is not just mechanical. There will be these overtones that will give away how it is you think of practice itself. And when you can make the way you think about practice part of what practice is working on, then it starts to get really deep because we need to get at that stuff. There's no, I mean, like I said, like when we talked about secret practice, we all have one. We all come to practice, I think, for the wrong reasons. Um, and really the question is how long it takes us to figure that out and then to be willing to work with it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's natural, inevitable. Um, and then the way we practice becomes this incredible field of exploration where you can see so much about the same dynamics that cause you suffering in every other part of your life. What, you, what causes you suffering in your work will probably show up in how you practice. What causes you suffering in your relationship with your spouse or parents will probably show up in how you relate to your teacher. You know, all of it. So anyway, it's these one-on-one -on -one conversations I think can be invaluable. 
And I think that is um, what I think, I'm not gonna say everybody. I mean, I just, who knows? I think most people who practice need it at some point. Um, maybe not for a while, but at some point. Um, and, um, and I'm just in this awkward position where I'm happy to have conversations with people, but I'm not authorized to do that kind of work. So, um, so I'm happy to hang out as a friend, you know, someone who's been around the block a couple of times and we can talk about practice. Um, but you know, if you think you're at a point where you need that kind of one-on-one, -on -one, you then maybe your practice is ready for it. It would be good to find somebody and I could help you find somebody. Um, or we could just talk about how things are going. So it's a strange thing. I mean, you know, Ezra went through this period for a number of years where he had a sitting group, um, just like this one, um, before he received armor transmission from Joko. Um, and um, it's just, you know, it's just what it is. Um, and I have enough kind of um, loyalty, faith in the tradition that I, 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 I don't know. That's just, I'm not interested in, in, um, in really, um, yeah, bypassing that. So um, anyway, I don't know. I, this is, I don't know, it's kind of weird and meandering and I'm not really sure it, I hope this helped the person who asked the question. Please follow up with the email if it didn't when you listen to this. Um, is there any questions or thoughts about any of this? And I know some of you have teachers and have worked with teachers, so maybe you could speak to different ways that, um, you know, because there are different versions of it. And, you know, you could have, think of a teacher as infallible, like a guru, you know, like in Tibetan traditions, often it's like you think of it, but I, I think that's a very risky thing to do to be honest, we're human beings. Um, and, um, but it's a deep part of that tradition, you know? And so it depends on how, you know, faithful you want to be to it. Okay, so I'm gonna shut up. Um, any questions or thoughts about any of this? Hi, Bernie. Uh, Austin? Yeah. Hi. A quick related question um i'm doing a daily practice now and i just started four months ago i was just wondering how often to use guided meditations and how often to sit without without someone guiding there are some weeks when i've listened to one of your meditations on spotify every day uh, do you have recommendations about that can you sit without guidance yeah, it's you. I definitely like like the guide. Like I find myself choosing to listen to you, mm -hmm. and um, your voice like keeps me like my brain like definitely want like wanders a lot more. Mm. I don't have the guide, and I have a hard time like I really like how when you guide meditations you move through different things. When I'm on my own, I find myself like wanting to move through, but like feeling cautious about how to do it in a way that feels like well that still feels like grounded or anchored that's a good question austin i would say the ideal is moving towards using no guidance at all um i um and but but i think you're right like 
it can be helpful. And it's the reason I offer guided meditations is, you know, even on Tuesday nights is it's, it's helpful to model the different ways that you can move through a body, for example, during a body scan or offer cues about how to attend to sensations that are difficult or like even how to follow the breath and things like that. So like what I see myself as doing on Tuesdays and in those different recordings is offering a kind of array of different strategies, different kind of like um, scores, as you will, to, to move through a particular kind of sitting period, right? Um, but I think at some point you will not need them. And, you know, I think, um, and perhaps that point will come pretty soon. Um, and so, um, I would say, you know, incorporate, um, definitely a day or two without any recording and then just try increasing that. And then once in a while you can do a recording and see, you know, maybe you learn something new, um, and then incorporate that into your own sittings on your own as well. Um, I, um, because I learned how to meditate before there were, I mean, before DVDs were even like CDs were even invented. Right. I mean, so there was like literally um, nothing. So I have never used guided meditations except like reading them in like Stephen Levine's books and just then incorporating them myself into my own practice. And so that's how I, I think, um, I would move, you know, slowly but surely towards just sitting on your own. Um, and the more you do that, I think the more you'll have confidence that you will know which moves to make as you're sitting, you know? Okay, thank you. Yeah. anything else maybe okay it's late maybe that's it i'm sorry this felt like i don't know i think you know it, it was a good it was a good really good question i wonder if maybe i should have just answered by email um you know the um the anyway it felt sort of like dry and abstract in ways that yeah anyway okay whatever it was um, a it was the answer to a question i didn't know to ask but i wanted the answer to oh, okay so okay, okay. awesome one good cool cool um i've been wondering about teachers actually for a while now, oh so okay okay <laughs> all right cool all right there you go there you go um and actually yeah so um and if anyone wants to have a conversation about where to find teachers and where, what other centers to go it's like you know it's check out ezra's piece it has good basic advice about what to look for what warning signs there might be and just you know i think try out different places um, it's hard right now with COVID and, and all that. So maybe, you know, maybe it's a thing to do more in earnest once we can start actually visiting places. I think ideally you'd want to go someplace you can go physically, you know, you want to be able to, but, um, but for now I'm here. And just because you find a teacher doesn't mean you, you're not welcome. Come, come back here anyway. Okay. Please don't go away. Just <laughs> so um, I would miss you all. Okay. All right. So um, it's late. So I will just let you all go. And if anyone wants to hang back and has a question, um, I'll hang for a bit, okay? Okay, cool. All right. Um, take care. Good night, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Bernie. Thank you, Bernie. Yeah, thank, thank, you. Bernie. Bye, thank you, Bernie. <laughs>